Hello and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. Join us as we dive into topics like languages and frameworks, data and event-driven architectures, and individual and team productivity, all tailored to developers and engineering leaders. This episode is part of our Tools and Tips series. Welcome to the Heroku Codish podcast. Uh, I am your host today, uh, Rick Newman, and I am a Director of Engineering at Salesforce Heroku. Uh, I'm here with Marco Fela. Uh, he is a professor of advanced programming and an author of Seriously Good Software, which is what he and I are here to talk about today. Marco, uh, welcome, and thank you for joining me. Uh, hi, Rick. Thank you very much for having me. Excited to hear about what we're about to talk about, Seriously Good Software. I, at least in my role and roles, have encountered Seriously Good Software, at least I thought so, uh, and I've encountered not-so-seriously good software. So I'm interested in hearing uh, your perspective, especially given your background and your current role. There are certainly many different ways to uh, to characterize uh, good software. Uh, from my point of view, what I'm mostly interested in is uh, having software that takes care and covers all requirements and not only the functional requirements, which are those that usually people uh, focus on, but also non-functional requirements like readability, robustness, uh, performance, var- var- various uh, meanings of performance. Uh-huh. I think that's an interesting way to define good software. And uh, so in the book, I, I try to encourage developers to to look at a bigger picture where all requirements are important well of course mm-hmm. you know depending on the context the different requirements uh, uh, can be more or less important right right and you mentioned uh, yeah functional and non-functional and talked and talked a little bit about that non-functional what are uh, do you have other uh, ideas or examples around those non-functional uh, requirements especially robustness when you say robustness uh, maybe as a tag at the end uh, what are you thinking about when you say that well, I'm thinking about, for example, the amount of testing that you perform on your software. So uh, robustness in the sense of how sure you are that, that your software is going to work according to specifications. And at the same time, I'm thinking about uh, issues of uh, scalability. So your, your software may be functional uh, with a small number of users, but maybe breaks down when uh, external conditions change, such as the, the number of users or other uh, external factors. When you're looking at these functional and non-functional both uh, a set of requirements, mm-hmm. how do you go about addressing that? So I think, uh, first of all, it's a matter of addressing these requirements from the beginning, from the specification stage. So say that you're developing... Uh, uh, software for an external client, and this external client is not into software. He or she is a uh, domain expert for for their own business. And most of the time, uh, when you talk to the, your client, they're going to focus on functional requirements. So they probably have in mind what, what the software should do, but they're probably going to overlook most of the non-functional requirements. And so I think the first step for 
eventually and ultimately getting uh, good software is flesh these non-functional requirements out at the specification stage. So don't overlook them and uh, think about uh, what performance constraints your project has, how important uh, code readability is for, for the future evolution and maintenance of your software and stuff like that that can be easily overlooked. And of course, the same uh, attention to these non-functional requirements must then carry over to the development phase, must uh, be transmitted over all your organization from people in charge of specifications to uh, all developers. Now, at the developer level, I think uh, something that should be encouraged is that developers should be aware of the alternatives. In other words, they should be aware that there's many different ways to achieve the same functional effect. Many different ways, like to design a, a single class, for example, which is what I try to uh, show in the book. You can design a class uh, aiming at a readability, a very readable and clean class, or you may aim at uh, performance and sometimes there's trade-offs between these different uh, code qualities. Sometimes if you really want to squeeze uh, performance to the, to the maximum, you're going to have uh, less clear code um, or other kinds of uh, compromises like that. This is fascinating and I would say fundamental stuff. And, and in your role uh, as professor of advanced programming, this is a portion of your curriculum, of what you are teaching. Is that right? Yeah. And so how do you go about teaching this? So I was uh, lucky enough that uh, I was given a lot of freedom in designing my own curriculum, my own class, this uh, advanced programming language class. So um, what I did, what I tried to do is to mix and match different topics that usually are taught in different classes in college, like software engineering, programming languages, programming techniques and some algorithms. Uh, all of this stuff is usually taught in different classes, which of course makes perfect sense because in college you go vertically in depth in each of these topics. But I think that from time to time you also need to have a broader perspective to appreciate the relationships between those, those topics, to, to appreciate the fact that they all contribute ultimately to designing good good programs. And so what I try to do is mix these topics and uh, compare different ways of doing uh, the same thing or, or, or mm -hmm. similar things and to, to give students this broader perspective. That's a great idea, just focusing on kind of that horizontal integration across the number of uh, almost siloed uh, focus. In, in, for example, even um, different languages or maybe compile compilation and algorithms and seeing how those interact with each other is is likely very beneficial for the for the student right. and so i try to do something similar in, in this book where i take a single class a very simple a small system and uh, and then i show how you can refactor it according to different software qualities when you want to optimize for performance or uh, memory uh, footprint readability, and so on. How does this translate 
from the students that you see that come through your classroom and as they go out into industry, how does that, how does this particular class and your method translate into them taking this out into the workforce? So my impression is that what I'm talking about, uh, so this broader perspective, I think it's something that all of them sooner or later acquire from experience, but it usually takes two or three or a couple of years to, to get from, from a more uh, narrow, more focused uh, college-like thought process to mm-hmm. broader engineering uh, industry-like uh, perspective. And I hope that with my class and perhaps with my book, I'll uh, shorten this, this time frame. So give them a quicker introduction to the industrial coding perspective. So do you think that uh, this, this is meeting those industry needs, uh, at least in, in part, from your students? Yeah, at least in part and at least locally, of course. Uh, uh, I'm mostly in touch with local companies in the southern Italy. So actually, I'd be curious to hear uh, your uh, thoughts or your experience about it from a very different and, and a lot larger uh, industry <laughs> that you uh, belong to. I've uh, been a hiring manager uh, at a number of uh, places for teams of different sizes for maybe 15 years. Uh, but absolutely there, uh, I see some gaps in new graduates coming in. And it, and it really depends, uh, obviously, on the, the individual and even the school that they're coming from or the, or the path that they're following. If they're, if they're pursuing a master's degree in computer science, for example, uh, or a bachelor's in computer science or a different uh, mathematics. But one of the general gaps that I see just in general is that of fundamentals. Uh, and, and you actually mentioned that, uh, thinking about uh, algorithms and how do you do and, and what do you balance? How do you consider the different factors coming into, I want to develop a feature, I want to implement something. Are you considering uh, efficiency or maintainability? Are you considering things idiomatic to a particular language? Right. So I can absolutely see the necessity of the kind of teaching that you're bringing and that you reflect in your book of pulling these things together. Uh, and instead of just having separate categories in, in a person's head of this, this is, these are data structures and this is sorting. Uh, and here is the language that I know, or here are, here's the ecosystem within which that language exists. Being able to pull those together uh, mm-hmm. will certainly be helpful. And of course, like priorities between different uh, requirements change a lot with the industry. For I'm thinking of the uh, gaming, uh, video game industry. So there, time performance is super important because mm-hmm. like big games uh, try to squeeze all of the performance out of the hardware, whereas in other contexts, it may not be crucial or critical. Right, yeah, and... Um... And I guess we're talking a little bit about wisdom. We're thinking about really in any field or any endeavor that it's going to take a little while to be able to absorb and understand uh, and almost internalize the balance uh, of the different priorities. Yeah. But I do think that we could help accelerate that a little bit. And I think the way you're thinking is a step in that right direction. I, I hope so. Obviously, there's other... Uh, very good resources. I, I'm I'm a fan of this like horizontal type of books. Like the Pragmatic Programmer is is another one. Where 
Mm-hmm. It's not about a technology. It's not about uh, any in-depth technical knowledge. It's rather about the broader perspective. So uh, coming out of this, thinking about just the work and the book, and you mentioned past students, and, incl- and include your book, obviously. Include your book in this question. But what are the biggest learnings? What are your lessons learned as you kind of interact with students and seeing them go out in the world and having this conversation, and I'm sure many others, what are your lessons learned uh, if you were to share some bit of wisdom with me in particular and our audience? I think it really pays off to make uh, an, an, an education investment, even these days when there, there's uh, so much free and easily available tutorials and education on, on the internet. Because that kind of foundation that you, you were also talking about uh, is is your uh, best guarantee to be flexible, to adapt to the changing conditions. And our, our field of programming, computer science and computer engineering are extremely dynamical fields. The technologies change all the time. So I think strong foundations are your best bet to remain flexible and, and relevant and then get the best positions in the industry. Right, good advice. I think it's also good to uh, read good code. And there's a lot of good good code around. For example, I'm mostly familiar with the Java ecosystem. So uh, everyone can uh, take a look at the Java standard library, the Java API, the source code. And uh, that's a simple way to uh, compare your coding style with the, with with the pros with the, with an established and, and high quality code base mm-hmm. that that's a good exercise yeah that's great and that really does pay off it might not pay off frequently but when it does pay off when it when you do have to dig in and find something that is just a gnarly gnarly strange bug <laughs> it is deeply satisfying <laughs> when you, yeah. when you can make use of that experience and that and that knowledge, yeah, and 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 often you you get after you uh, picked into a library, you end up using it with much more uh, much more aware of how to use it. You're you're, you're going to just use it better. Uh, well, this has been fantastic, Marco. I know we've mentioned that you have a book out a couple of times. Uh, for those listening, those interested, uh, it's on the Manning site and. There is a 40% discount uh, if you use the code uh, PODISH, which is P-O-D-I-S-H 19, PODISH 19. And you can use that uh, uh, on the Manning site. And those will be in the show notes as well. And thank you uh, again, Marco. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me again. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Codish podcast. Codish is produced by Heroku the easiest way to deploy, manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Codish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com slash podcasts.